I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman, back with another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We've got a packed episode today. Uh, we're going to talk about the Olympics, we're going to talk about a couple trips Corey and I recently took, college free agents and European free agents, and as we get into the month of the trade deadline, we've got Corey's prospects who could be traded. It's going to be a really full show, uh, but we haven't done this in a, in a couple weeks. Corey, how you been? Uh, I've been good. It's been a busy couple of weeks, obviously, uh, the Olympics has dominated a lot of my last couple of weeks and watching that at odd times along with the usual um, games that, that I've been watching. Uh, I, I was out uh, in New England for the Bean Pod, watched some of the prep kids uh, uh, during the second week of the Olympics too. Um, but I think your week, last week or two, has been far more interesting than mine. Yeah, I just got back from eight days in uh, Gothenburg, Sweden, my first time over there uh, to, to Europe. I spent the week around Frulunda, um, Frulunda I should say. Uh, which was really cool. I, I've never uh, spent any time around the SHL before. I got one day out, out in Engelholm, which was cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Red Wings have, have drafted a lot out of that league and, and particularly out of that franchise in the last few years. Six guys in the last three drafts they, they've taken. Um, and so I, I wanted to, number one, see those prospects, but but also write about that program. And so um, that's in the in the works right now in the process. But yeah, I mean, three three games and uh, Elmer Suterblom, the sixth round pick from from 2019, scored in all three of them. 
I thought Edvinson was outstanding um, and, and really got better over the course of the week. And uh, yeah, it, it was really good. I mean, I, I got to see uh, in total five Red Wings prospects play the four from Furlandon and then Albert Johansson from Feriestad, uh, who scored in that game. So uh, for the Red Wings listeners we have out there, uh, I, I picked a good week to go and I, I got to see a lot of uh, of those players. I think Edvinson, one of my big takeaways, I, I do think he's going to be in the NHL next year, just after, after what I saw from him, the way that he defends at that age um, was really impressive. One thing that I think is interesting in terms of the August World Juniors is the more NHL people I talk to, uh, the more I get the sense that those top, top end guys, there's going to be some hesitancy of sending them to Edmonton in August. If there's, there's the, you know, the top prospects they think can be on the roster uh, in October. And it's interesting because I know Evanson has talked with the media about how he wants to play in that World Junior in August. Um, and given the progress he's made this season, I'll be curious to see if the Red Wings pull back on him at all or not. Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, Sider didn't play in his final World Junior eligible. And, you know, the, the Raymond obviously was, was in the NHL this year and so didn't go. Um, it'll be interesting. You're right. I, I even wonder, though, about even the European guys who, who aren't the NHL team. Like, that's really when they're getting started. And you got Champions League play. And the, the timing of August as opposed to, like, June, I do... I do wonder how that limits the player availability, not just for the NHL guys. You think, you know, teams probably are willing to let their guys go, especially when it means a lot to them. But um, we don't know yet what, what, what kind of effects those will have and how similar those rosters are ultimately going to be. Yeah, it's roughly around when the World Junior Summer Showcase usually is. That's usually late July, early August, not mid-August, which I think is when the World Juniors is going to be. Um there, there is U20 tournaments around that time, but they're in Europe typically. So I think they'll make accommodations, but for the guys like Edvinson, guys like William Eklund, uh, for the North Americans, guys like Matthew Veneers and Jake Sanderson, Owen Power, Mason McTavish, uh, Cole Perfetti, I have a, I don't, I think you might see like a couple of those guys go just if, you know, they force their hand. You know, I'm sure Shane Wright wants to at least get one, one kick at the can there. Um, but I could see it not happening too. Well, and and you look at there was a pretty notable, you know, Brant Clark w- was left off that list. That's probably going to open a door for him now. And and I don't presume that he's in the NHL next year anyway. But you you think now he at least gets that chance to, to right. play, especially, especially if power is gone. They have a power play slot open. You presume Zellweger move, or Cormier moves to the first unit, and that opens a, a spot for Clark potentially on the second unit. Yeah, exactly. So it it, it should be good for. Uh, especially a lot of the kids who were just right off the bubble or maybe had, you know, in a in Thomas Borlo's case, something come up that prevented him from going um, that. I, yeah, it, it should be good from that standpoint for those kids. But uh, for fan bases who wanted to see their their very top prospect at the World Juniors, uh, they, they may be in a little bit of a hold your breath uh, state between now and then to, to see uh, what's going to happen there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's all fair. Uh, one thing that I think probably, you know, a typical North American listener probably is not aware of. That I'd be curious to get your insight from going to Europe is for I've watched a lot of European hockey. I've gone to Europe to Europe several times. Is uh, the atmosphere in Europe for a hockey game kind of like in a soccer game too? You know, people who have watched you know European soccer probably have seen this, but this translates to hockey too. Is the atmosphere and the way the fans interact in the building in a in a professional hockey game in Europe is much much different from what you would see in an NHL game. It's really cool. I mean, it, you're right. It's very different. I, I, I think I, I think when I wrote about it, I think I, the phrase I used was like, it's like college hockey scaled up. But, but I, I think that even undersells yeah. it because it's, it is it's, more. It's like a giant party. 
yeah, it's it's a party that they've got chants, they've got songs, they've got a big bass drum that they beat throughout the game, and and I have had these chants stuck in my head for like days and uh, coming out of these games because they're just so it's really the same rhythms, and sometimes they'll change what the word is or if it's a player or the team name, the city. Um, it's really cool, and 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 I think you can really feel that energy, and, and it it builds. It's it's a it's a great atmosphere. Um, they have like this big section uh, in in Gothenburg. Uh, they call them Gogbar, which I think translates to something like good guys, and it's just kind of like they want everyone to be like part of the the family um, there. And then they have kind of a, a section below that, and they're called Section One Eighty Four or One Eighty Five. I I should know that, but um, they're they they all wear black, and I think it was described to me as they're more kind of like the soccer style hooligan section. And so you get a little bit of all these things. They wave these flags. They've got anthems. Um, it was it was awesome. By the end of it, I was like, I I could get used to to this kind of viewing atmosphere. Yeah, I, and I you don't just see that like in the top level, like SHL, for example. Like I remember going to go watch a DEL game, German. That's a German league in like a mid tier city, and it was that kind of atmosphere. When I went go to the Lincoln Memorial, um, when the when Czechia was in the fifth place game. You're still seeing that kind of atmosphere. It's just kind of a way of life over there in terms of how they attend their sporting events. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I got to chat a little bit with uh, Edvinson about it, and he was kind of asking like, "Oh, it's it's you know, what's it like in in the U.S. and in this, and what's how does it differ?" And they've got like in the U.S., you kind of have like different. Each fan base kind of has their different things. You know, some a lot of a lot of them actually seem to have adopted kind of the Ric Flair woo and. There's different songs that different arenas kind of when they come over the PA. Yeah, but there's extended periods with American rings where it's just dead quiet. Absolutely, and that that was not the case at all during an SHL game. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it was really cool. I, I'd like to go back, and I I think if you have the opportunity at any point for those listening, like it's something you'll you'll want to experience. Like it is a it is a, a bucket list thing. I think people should add. Yeah, no, I think that I agree wholeheartedly. I want to ask you, Corey, about Suterblum, and I, I just went and saw him, and I want to kind of check what I thought w- with you. I don't know how much you've watched him lately, but the way that he's scoring over there is quite something. I mean, he, I think he's sixth or seventh in the SHL in scoring. He's got 18 goals and really an NHL shot. It, it's an NHL shot today, um, and you know the, the question on him for a long time have been the feet, yep. um, but he's long enough that I think he's getting by with it. And so I, I wonder um, how you see kind of him translating. I think he's going to need at least a year in the AHL to, especially to adjust to the the style, the physicality, which is a little bit different um, in, in North America versus in Sweden. But he really impressed me that the whole time I was there. Yeah. I mean, he's got NHL skill. He's an NHL scoring ability, uh, obviously much more than NHL above average size. Uh, the feet have just been not just an issue. It's a major issue. Uh, and, and always has been. It's why he went in the sixth round, even though I think looking in hindsight, obviously should have gone much higher than that. I think you redid that draft. I think he would go definitely the top three rounds, maybe even second round. I'm not sure if you go in the first round um, because of the skating. Uh, but, you know, he looks like a really strong prospect. And, and that's just going to be the test is can he play in an NHL pace? Can he doesn't have the drive legs. I think with his size and his skill, he can be a secondary piece on the line, a net front presence. There's some, there's some things that he can do really well that are going to translate. But if he can't even get by a guy or he skate pucks up reasonably well in the NHL, it, it's going to be a problem. 
I had people ask me because I think partly because Tage Thompson is having such a big year and, and he is that size. I had a lot of people ask yep. me, you know, is he the next? And that's the difference is that Tage Thompson is, is a, I would say NHL average skater um, or, or close to it at that size, which makes it play much better than that. Yeah. I think he's a better skater. I think he's a dramatically better skater, but I think he's a better skater than Soderblom and Tage Thompson took a long time to get yeah. to this spot. Like he, there were, I've always liked the prospect, but man, there were some years where he tested your hypothesis on him. And, and you know, he had to, you know, he wasn't getting it done in the NHL. He goes down to the American league. He had the injuries. Um, it, and now obviously he looks great. And he looks like the guy that Buffalo saw when they traded for him in the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Um, and I think that, that he even ended up becoming a center is probably something that I did not see coming to be quite honest. Um, Probably not my comp for Soderblom, but I think Soderblom could be like a top nine four in the NHL. You know, Tate Thompson looks like a top two line center. That's a different yeah. projection level, but absolutely, I, I, I think he can help the Red Wings. Yeah, I, I think the scoring alone, like it's, I think that's going to translate. And I, I think the way he plays down low, he, he has learned how to box out. He has learned how to protect the puck. You'll have to keep doing all of those things. I do think he's going to need to get meaner, um, but I think I think the projection is there. I think he will be probably a, a, probably a third line or so player. Um, with, with some unique physical skills, it, you, you mentioned a comp. Like I just don't even know if there is one. Like I, I appreciate people trying to look for one, and but there's just not that many guys with that size, and it's it's hard. Finding comps are, are not easy when, particularly for guys who are on the extreme edges of the size yeah. scale. Um, you know, I'm dealing with this when I'm asking for people to ask me, giving me, ask me for comps on for this year's draft, like Matt Savoy and Logan Cooley, for example. And it's like, you know, oh, I can try and think of some but there's only like so many 510 or smaller guys in the NHL who are tough six forwards which I, I project both as but you're not going to find a perfect cop like I go to like Cooley I'm like okay you're not Braden Point like Braden Point's a, like a superstar in the NHL I yep. don't think you're that level but I think you're probably better than Vincent Trocek yep. but there's no like guy in the middle there that I can kind of think of yeah. so and it, different it, too right yeah. different than yeah yeah no, it is, it's tough, but I, you know, I, I get it. And I, I know fans love that stuff, so I, I, uh, I just wanted to kind of address that Thompson one because it was one that I got several times while I was over there after watching him. And I, I really, frankly, had the same thing with Edvinson. People ask, like, okay, who's Edvinson? Like, he's like Edvinson. I don't know exactly how to. He's got a really good defensive stick. He, he's a gazelle with the way he moves. He's got good hands. Pareko, maybe. But Pareko, I think of as more of like the thundering. You sure. Know, like Edvinson's aggressive and he uses he, some physicality. Yeah, he's physical, I think, too. Like, he's physical, but but it's not like that's not like the bedrock, right? Like it's like to me, it's like the patience, the calm. Like it's I like I would almost say more Petrangelo than Pareco. But I, I don't know. think he I think he's a, I think Petrangelo's like maybe is a little bit more a little bit more pure offense, and I don't yeah. know if I think Edvinson's like natural feet are probably a little bit better than Petrangelo. Yeah, that's fair too. I mean, but and and that is kind of the the, the I think there tends to be a public idea of Edvinson as kind of a chaotic, offensive, like risky player, but I, that's not what I saw when I watched him. I no, saw. I think he's just like a second power play guy in the NHL, probably who plays like you know he's not taking. You know, you look at that organization. I don't think like he has dramatically more. I don't think like Sider has much more skill than him. But if he has between the two of them, I imagine Sider just getting getting the power play time. Well, Cider's power play one right now, and, and you know that's what I meant. Like if you, if you oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like five years from now, projecting who's yes. who's PP one? I'm guessing it's Cider over Edmondson. Yeah, and, and you have Johansson, who I think probably plays power play in in that mix in some 
fashion too. But yeah. like, you know, Edvinson's not on Ferlunda's power play, right? But but he is a huge workload defenseman for them, even without the power play. And it, I think it really speaks to the two-way ability that he brings. He is scoring at a rate that you would expect in, in a men's pro league that that would be influenced by playing on the power play. That's not what's happening, but he gets his passing is really good. His skill is, is really good and he's aggressive. And so um, it's, it's hard for me to find a comp like that. Um, even though I know it's, it's kind of how people want to contextualize what they can be. Um, it, it just makes it tough, but um, you had some good viewing opportunities too, at the bean pot. And it doesn't so much, you know, like my trip, it doesn't so much go to the drafted prospects, but lots of relevant prospects at the, at the bean pot in any given year. Yeah. Um, that was the best, I watched there was a, it was a constellation game between Harvard and and Boston College and then there was the championship game between Boston University and, and Northeastern. Um, in the constellation game, uh, that was the best game I've seen Matt Coronado play this season. Like I thought he was really impactful. Some of his college games this year kind of been in and out. Uh, his U twenty games at the summer well juniors some were good some weren't as good. Um, but this were you know I I thought he played with pace he had energy he showed really good skill he created chances. Um, like that was like that was that was the real first impression I got of Cornell this season, where it's like, okay, this is why you were a top fifteen pick. Like you have a lot of elements to your game, and I would like to have seen them more consistently this season. But I, I saw what you did in junior. I see what you can do in certain moments. Like he still looks like a really strong prospect. Um, Jack Hughes. Uh, the, the draft eligible for Northeastern, I thought was solid. One of the only guys in Northeastern I thought who really showed his skill and creativity. He's not really having the big year that I thought he was at least going to – not a big, big year, but like a, like a solid, good year for a draft eligible. Um, not having the big production that, that I was kind of hoping he would given how skilled a player I think he is. And even though I when I watched him in, in the Beanpot, I thought he was one of the most skilled – creative, instinctive players on the ice, given he's 5'11", not a great skater. Um, i kind of wondering where his stock's going to end up by the end of it. Uh, I think coming into the year, we're like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a first-round pick. And I'm like, yeah, maybe late one right now kind of thing. Could slide into the early parts of day two. Uh, that's kind of where I think he fits right out, even though like I said I do respect the skill a lot. Um, those are kind of the main takeaways because there weren't a lot of the top college players there. They were in Beijing. Um, you know, Devin Levi wasn't there, Drew Camesso wasn't there, Nick Abrazizi, Sean Farrell weren't there, uh, probably missing a couple, uh, Jack Bain, uh, uh, Drew Hellison. Uh, but it was so interesting to see Dylan Peterson, St. Louis prospect, uh, scored the winner, a big moment for him. Uh, and I thought the goalie for Northeastern, uh, TJ, I'm going to butcher his name, Septim Feller, uh, who has played behind Levi all season, actually fared quite well. Um, but, but yeah, so it wasn't that amazing a tournament, but I did go for, for Hughes and to watch a couple of the drafted players. And because there's quite a few prep guys this season in Boston who are getting hype as potential top two, three, four round picks. Well, BU wins it. You mentioned Peterson. Anybody on that team that really stand out to you? You know, there's a few prospects there. Jay O'Brien, Master Simone, uh, Fensori, Ty Gallagher. I, I like Jay O'Brien there. Yeah. Like, I think he's the one, like, I know he's... He has gone through very, a lot of fluctuations in his development over the last five years. First round pick, I think put roughly around 20 by the Flyers. He goes to Providence, can barely stick in the lineup. He leaves Providence, goes plays in the BCHL for a season. Then he comes back, plays a couple of years at BU, 
Um, but watching him there, I'm not saying I'm a nabber with him. He wouldn't go in the first round. He redid that draft right sure. now. But I, I think I watch him and the skating, the skill, the computer good enough to where I think he will play NHL game for the in for one day. I'm not saying he's going to be like a great NHL player, but I think he can provide depth and useful minutes to an NHL team at some point. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts uh, to wrap on that before we, we get into some Olympic stuff? Yeah, just on the, on the prep stuff, I think this looks like a pretty strong Boston prep class. Uh, ben McDonald no, from Noble from no and Greenboro, uh, Michael Fisher from, from St. Mark's, um, both guys that I think are getting a lot of attention right now. Um, there's a couple of other guys like Brian Ali in, in Connecticut and uh, and Michael Calla, St. Sebastian, that I know are getting interest, particularly McDonald and Fisher, I think are, are two guys that could be top three, four round picks. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Uh, talk some Olympics. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, Corey, let's get now into the Olympics. And I think, you know, there's one obvious story here for our prospect purposes that uh, leaps above the rest, and that is the performance of Slovakia's Juri Slavkovsky. Name the tournament MVP is a draft eligible, uh, which for an Olympic tournament, even without NHL players, like it's, it's a pretty significant, uh, pretty significant performance by him and, and one that's got his, his NHL draft stock really on the rise. And was, his performance was on the rise throughout the tournament, too, even though he did seem to score in every single game. He started for Slovakia on their fourth line. He wasn't on their power play. It seemed like even his fellow draft eligible, Simon Nimich, was going to be the guy who was going to get more opportunity and be more of a factor. And then as the tournament progressed, Nimich ended up being like a seventh defenseman benched, I think, toward towards the end. And Slavkovsky was clearly their best player. Like he's a tournament MVP, obviously, Slavkovsky's best player. But you know, he was first line, first power play, seemed to be one of the only guys on that team that can consistently create offense, even as a 17-year-old. And as you said, it's not the Olympics as we would expect with NHL players. I wouldn't even call it the World Championships at this level because NHL players do go to the World Championships, even though last year there weren't as many. Some still went. Um but even if you consider this like a European hockey tour tournament, um, seeing 17-year-olds do what he did at those kind of levels is, is rather rare, um, especially in the moment that he had to do it in with, with the stakes of the Olympics, uh, helping Slovakia get their first ever medal at, at this tournament. Uh, a very special performance and one that a lot of NHL people have taken notice of. And even though his play uh, with TPS and Lika has been all that amazing this year, when he's played for Slovakia at the Holinka Gretzky, briefly at the World Juniors, and now here at the Olympics, 
I think you're going to start hearing a lot more discussion of Slavkovsky right at the top of the draft class this summer. Well, that's what's interesting to me is like we, we've known for a while this guy has basically every tool, right? He's got size, skill. He's got a great shot. He can skate well. Skates well. That's right. Uh, you, you look at him and, and you say, okay, this guy has the whole package. But along the way, you've seen the production in Liga and, and there's a pretty strong track record of what top, top prospects tend to produce in Liga. And it, it can vary a little bit, but he's only got four points on the year. And so I think that's where this tournament was so interesting is to see the outpouring of offense and I kind of wonder like how you square one with the other because you, you you think this is at least as as good of a level as Liga um to, yep. to play in and to produce in um how point. do you kind of square those yeah early in the year I was like oh well TP is such a great team and you know you, you play on a deep team like sometimes that happens you don't get the opportunity but TPS hasn't been so good in the second half of the year and his production still isn't there so I think you it's 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 tough you have to always balance all the information it's, it's rare that outside of the special players or the ones who just are not really relevant that you get you get uniform information on at every level sometimes you got to balance these things um, so you got you know with the fact that his international play particularly this season has been extremely impressive um, even though he didn't score the world juniors just two world junior games I thought he was really good like that game versus Sweden he was he was he was awesome um, and then you had to square that with his club performance which just quite they said it, it's like it's still a, looks, he looks like a strong prospect in those games, but doesn't look like a guy who could be a top five, top three, even challenger first overall. Definitely doesn't look like that kind of guy. Um, and I think that's what's going to be really interesting with the, this whole first overall pick debate that things will be coming down the pipe over the, over the next few months is, yes, like Shane Wright is not having the year that you would think is accustomed to a, a typical first overall pick, at least in the CHL. You know, Typically, sure. first overall CHL picks are top First, second, third in their league and scoring, you know, running away with the MVP is in their league, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but you look around in the world and there isn't, hasn't really been a guy who's done that. Like Logan Cooley is a great prospect, but he's not scoring at, like, at extreme numbers, particularly for a 5'10 forward uh, with the program. Uh, Kamel has slowed down a little bit. He hasn't, I think he's been pointless in like his last 10 league games, something like that. Although, Injury bridge those games. Um, Savoy's scoring in the WHL has slowed down a little bit, um, but and now you have Slavkowski, who I think you said has four points, I think one goal in the Liga, but then he has this performance. Like, okay, well maybe this is the moment, but it's not perfect because you have everything else he's done this season in the background. Um, so that's why I think this debate can be really interesting going forward. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if he comes out of the Olympics and just you know, goes on like what you would typically associate with like top five level production in Liga, then I don't think there's any question. But it, you got a chance here for kind of what I guess what I would call the reverse Pedersen, where at least Pedersen was like a point per game player uh, in his league in the Allsvenskan in his draft year, but internationally, like it wasn't as dominant. And so yeah. uh, you could have the potential here where if Slavkovsky, you know, kind of keeps at his Liga production rate, you kind of have the reverse of that, where you've seen in every international stage, he looks like a top five pick. And then in his league, he looks like, yeah, first round, you know, a high first rounder, but maybe not top five, top three, like you said. Yeah. And one. then there's opportunity to play the world championships in the summer. Right. Does he go there? Does he do what he think he's going to do? It, it would... Um, you know, just that world championships, I think could be, could be rather interesting from a draft perspective, uh, for that reason, him and Nemec both go, if your check is healthy by then, um, yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. I think it's, I, I, it's at the first overall, second overall, third overall picks in the, in this draft, I think are not defined 
which I think is really interesting a couple of months out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the Olympics, I mean, the other guy, there's a lot of guys we could talk about. You had a really good article out of it, the, the standouts, but the guy who I think, uh, well, first of all, I want to talk about Brock Faber because we expected Jake Sanderson to kind of carry the load for Team USA and, and his situation was tough, you know, obviously gets in late and then um, banged up. But Faber really did, was able to kind of shoulder the load for Team USA. Yeah, you had two teenagers, three teenagers on that team play significant roles. One would be Brock Faber, um, one, the other one was Matthew Nyes, and the other one would be Matty Veneers. Uh, with, with Sanderson being injured and, and Faber, yeah, with Sanderson out, uh, didn't take much power play time, but still played clearly the most amount of minutes on that team. It, it was, you know, it was clear that David Quinn trusted this guy the most because he's an NHL level skater, because he's an NHL level competitor, and because he, he could make a good first pass, even if he, the offense is never going to be the calling card of his game and wasn't at this tournament. Um, he was the guy who was going out there to play against any type of, type of decent forward competition uh, because he had the amazing skating to, to shut down guys. Finland obviously wins the tournament. We talked about that in our preview. You never bet against Finland international competition because of exactly what they just did. They just have the, the, their style of play, the way that they do things really seems to work internationally. They pull off the upset of the Russians in the gold medal game. Um, but big picture, I mean, Canada and USA both had their tournaments end a lot earlier than I think people expected, certainly than I expected. Um, any kind of closing thoughts on on the North American countries here coming out of the Olympics? Uh, nothing that interesting. I uh, USA had a really young team, and they obviously had a very impressive performance versus Canada um, in the group stage. But they, that was a tough group because Germany wasn't really a good team. You had the Chinese in that group that Canada played twice and that USA yep. played. So you didn't really get a good gauge on, on where this team was uh, before the medal round against some of the other European teams. And, you know, against a very young team, there's NHL prospects on this team, a lot of NHL prospects on that team, actually. Um, you know, you saw some guys elevate, whether it was Faber, whether it was Matty Beniers, whether it was college free agent Ben Myers, who I thought had an excellent tournament. But it wasn't a shock to see such a young team who frankly you know, did not have Jake Sanderson, did not have some like really high-end guys other than Beneers, um, who I thought was outstanding in that quarterfinal game, um, you know, move on. And with Canada, um, it was just not really an impressive team. Like You watched them and there was a lot of vanilla in their game and there wasn't a lot of skill and speed on that team. Obviously, you had a couple of the top prospects there, like Kent Johnson, Mason McTavish, Owen Power, who... You know, had, each had their own moments, but I never thought either them, any of them like really elevated to like help take over a game and 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 do what they need for Canada to move on. Um, in in the big games, being the one against the United States, and then um, uh, in their quarterfinal game. Uh, so I, I wasn't overly surprised from what I saw at the tournament that they got knocked out, but it was interesting to see that there wasn't some of those young guys didn't really take you know giant roles at that tournament, or at least in terms of a performance level. My, my kind of main thought coming out of it was I wonder if I underrated the significance of just the familiarity that, that these European teams would have partly through events like the European Hockey Tour, where, you know, maybe not these specific teams playing together in overwhelming amount, but the general familiarity from playing with each other that a lot of these guys would have had over the past few years, a lot, several of them. Right. And there's other tournaments throughout the year. They played in yeah. November, they played in December. Um, you know, the Channel One Cup, for example, seems kind of seen as like an Olympic tune-up for a lot of these uh, nations. Um, and, and Finland had 
in particular had a lot of you know former NHL veterans like Phil yeah. Pula, Sammy Vatnin on their team. Um, you know they, they had rather good depth and talent uh, for for a Europe, high level European tournament. Um, so I wasn't really surprised that they won. In fact, I kind of as I watched the Russian team, I was kind of underwhelmed by the group they put together. I didn't really see a lot of NHL talent in that group other than Gritsuk, uh, Veronkov, and, and the goaltender Fedotov. Um, but otherwise, it wasn't really an overall impressive group from Russia. Yeah. All right. You teased Ben Myers uh, just a minute ago talking about him. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about him because he kind of headlines some of our uh, free agent rankings um, that we're going to get to. All right, Corey, uh, you talked about it right before the break. Uh, ben Myers for Team USA is, is a guy who's playing at University of Minnesota in the Big Ten and a f- option to become a free agent or not the option. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Um, you think he's got a, a good chance to play in the NHL. Um Tell me a little bit more about what you saw from Myers and, and kind of what his NHL trajectory looks like. Right. Well, at Minnesota, particularly with Team USA, I, I saw a center who can drive the play. I mean, he was USA's third-line center. That line with him, Noah K. Sean Farrell, I thought was consistently excellent. And he was, I think, the main reason why um, that line was consistently excellent because he has good speed. He competes really hard. Um, he has skill. I don't think he's going to be a big offensive guy. He hasn't been a big offensive guy in college, for example, but he scores enough. You know, he has enough creativity and playmaking to go with the effort level and the pace um, that I think he can be a bottom six four in the National Hockey League. You know, will he be a center? Maybe a fourth line center. I, if, he, if he plays hard, if he, I'm, you know, I can see that kind of being a wishy washy thing because of the size with, with some coaches, depending on the caliber of team he signs with. Um, but I think you know you watched him at that level with a, on a team surrounded by NHL prospects, and you're like, you know, this guy is clearly the one, one of the few here that looks like an NHL player. Yeah, you have a guy at the top of your list, right, right above Ben Myers. When you did your uh, ranking of the top college and European free agents, was Andre Kuzmenko from Russia, 26 year old, uh, undersized winger, but he's got a little bit of, uh, of of sturdiness to him, and he's scored like crazy for for Scott in the KHL. Yeah, been a guy on the radar for a couple of years, signed a long deal with, with Ska. Um, I think he's like 25, 26 years old right now. He's coming up now at the end of the deal. One of the top scorers, offensive overall players in the KHL this season. Extremely dynamic skill, uh, undersized winger. Uh, he doesn't have a size, but he, he does, and he's not really an amazing skater too, to be quite honest, but he competes really hard. He creates a lot of offense around the net in the KHL despite his size. And it's for that latter reason I think his game is going to translate. I think he will be an NHL forward. I think, you know, he can help a team in like a middle of the lineup kind of role. Um, I don't think this guy's like Panarin or anything close to it. Um, but I think, you know, he could be a second power play guy. He could play second, third line wing on a team and, and provide scoring to an NHL lineup. But I think the issue with him is going to be not really an issue, just a reality is that his age is I could be wrong, but I believe you have to sign him for a one-year deal when he comes over, and then I think he'll be UFA right after that. So I think Correct. it'll be it'll be interesting to see where he lands and and where the you know how he chooses to start an NHL career and in what context. Do we have any kind of feel? I mean, do you have any kind of feel? I shouldn't say we. I don't. Uh, do you have any <laughs> kind of feel where uh, which teams might be kind of in on either of these two guys? Well, I think almost I think a lot of teams are going to be in on both of those guys in terms of I I don't haven't heard any, any early indicators like guys down the list I've heard some indicators on like yeah. I think um, 
couple of like the have a chance, like mid-ish range kind of prospects. I've heard some teams associate with them, but I think with these two, their options are so wide open. I think when their seasons are over, they're going to have to really start narrowing down and doing interviews and stuff like that, which I don't think they've thoroughly begun that process yet. Even though teams definitely with Myers, they've talked to Myers at most a lot of them in the, I think in the early parts of the year, like before the season started, um, maybe even during the season. I don't know that for a fact, but I don't think till we get to the end of their seasons will we really start hearing like uh, how teams are getting narrowed down. Yeah, and then the other guy on the list who was at the Olympics, or maybe not the only one, but uh, Strauss Mann, obviously for Team USA, is a guy who turned pro last year, which you don't usually see that a guy will turn pro and then not go into the NHL. He goes over to the SHL with Haleftio, which has been the best team in the SHL this year. Which, uh, he did he did that to my understanding because he did not get an NHL offer. Yeah, and so a year later, do you like his prospects more for having that opportunity? Yes, I think people were impressed by his Olympics. I think people have been impressed by how he did in the SHL. Still an undersized goalie, still not an incredibly athletic undersized goalie. So some of the variables have not changed for why he did not get an NHL offer. But um, and I think you know, uh, but because he has done quite well versus men over the last year, it at least answers some questions, reassures. Some of the hesitancy of signing a small goalie. I think I think he's still a candidate for an NHL deal, but we'll see. And then Max Verano, I thought you made this was a great point in your article. Like you don't usually see someone who has actually gotten the NHL opportunity already. He was a college free agent two years ago, signed. It doesn't go well. He ends up in the SHL, and now he's one of the top scorers in the SHL. Um, it would be a little bit of a trick to turn to in, in, in one year that way, uh, get, get the offer right back. But he did just about everything he could have to at least make that a possibility. Right. I think it was more than, I think it was like three or four years ago where he signed out of Princeton with Ottawa. Didn't go very well in Ottawa. Gets traded from Ottawa to Toronto. Quickly leaves. Goes to Sweden. Played, I think, one. Played Sweden last year. Just okay. And yes, now he's one of the very, very best players in the SHL. And, and typically that wouldn't be an indicator to me. Like, I think, like, People like I think my maybe Adam Tamalini in that league might get a look at, but I don't think he's a great skater. So maybe he'll get signed, but I don't think he's an NHL player. But I think Verano is intriguing and why he was such so highly sought after as a college free agent because he has he's a very strong skater and now he's showing offense versus men. Um, I think that combination is always going to entice teams to give him a second opportunity. Yeah. The other story you had come out this week, which is always a, a, a hit among the fans, or really not a hit among certain fans if, they, if a guy that they like for their team ends up on it, uh, is your prospects are going to be moved to the trade deadline. It is that season. We are within a month to it. And, and some big names on there this year, you know, guys who were, who were high picks and starts right at the top with Grigory Denisenko and Vitaly Kravtsov. Yeah, I think, you know, Denisenko is, is what comes to mind. I think everyone expects Florida to be a, to be a buyer. They have reasonable amount of cap space. They're, they're an elite team in the NHL. And whether it is Owen Tippett, whether it is Grigory Denisenko or Maki Semiskevich, uh, we expect one of those wingers will be used as one of the main assets in, in, in a trade. Denisenko comes to mind because things haven't gone so well for him after he was so highly so highly touted coming out of Russia. Um, just in general, hasn't really scored versus pros in his career. Maybe a change of scenery would, would be best for him. Um, because there's really no clear place for him in this lineup right now, or or going forward, quite frankly, um, unless of course Tippett gets traded. Uh, so that's what comes to mind. I think the Rangers situation and Colorado situation is also very interesting. I think all with the Rangers, they've had a lot of high draft picks in recent years. They have a very good team this year. 
you have a top 10 pick um, for the second year in a row. The previous year was Leon Anderson. Now it's Tally Kravtsov, who doesn't seem to have a, a, a spot on this team. He's currently in Russia right now. Uh, I, I stock obviously significantly uh, lower than it was three years ago, but he's big, highly skilled winger. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Their defense situation, they have three really good young defensemen, Braden Schneider, Niels Longfist, Zach Jones. Uh, what happens with them? So I think that will be a really interesting thing going forward. And uh, and with Colorado, just because they're Colorado, an elite team, um, they've had, you know, they've done, you know, a good job in recent years acquiring young prospects into their farm system. You know, whether it is Justin Barron, Drew Hellison, um, Oscar Olison, uh, we presume they're gonna, they got to do something here at some point because this is this is their window. Same thing with with uh, with Florida. Um, so I'll be curious to see what those organizations do here in the, in the coming weeks. The Colorado one to me is interesting because you you've got a couple guys there, and obviously Justin Barron was not like a super high first round pick, but a first round pick who was thought of pretty highly through throughout his draft year. Um, he was playing pretty well in the AHL right now, and then you, you mentioned Hellison. Um, who is a guy who's kind of he was mid second rounder, but he's playing really well at BC. What what's kind of the current situation of what either of those guys? I don't believe Colorado has their first round pick. Like, are either of them kind of a stand in as a first, or is is it more you know if you're going with Hellison, it's Hellison plus a first or a second to get you kind of that you know we assume they're in a, in a tier for a, a high high level rental potentially. Yeah, I think most teams would say Barron can definitely stand in for a first. I think with Hellison. Most think he can, but it's not universal. Like you know, he was at the Olympics. He was like the seventh defenseman, scratch some nights. He wasn't wasn't a standout tournament for him there. Um, some people think he'd be rather vanilla, but others see like a big mobile defenseman who shows some offense. Was a top has been a top defenseman um, in the hockey East over the last year and a half, and, and get excited about the player. Was a big part of the World Junior Gold uh, last season uh, for Team USA. So I, I can see the argument personally that he can stand in for a first, but I can see I know. More universal on Barron than it would be for Hellison. And then with Minnesota, you have, you have Carson Lambos on the list here. And it, it's not all that common that you see a team uh, pick a guy in the first round. He has a pretty good year immediately. And, you know, he's potentially um, kind of in, in, on a list like this for a prospect who could be moved. Is this just like a, Minnesota's got a decent number of prospects now and you can't take everyone off the table situation? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing. I mean, they're clear abundance buyers. is the yeah. is, is, yeah well they're buyers but they're where their system is the strongest right now is on defense uh, in terms of the amount of players they have they have Carson Lambos in Winnipeg they have Ryan O'Rourke Damon Hunt strong prospects they have Kaelin Addison up in the pros who I don't think would probably be used because he's you know he's so close to the NHL um you know you, you got to imagine he's gonna be part of their team you know going forward in, in the next in the recent years because of his age and what he's done versus men so far so I think you look to the junior ranks and it's like, okay, what comment is it Lambos or Worker Hunt? Um, you know, th- those seem like the guys who would be used in a trade. Lambos is the one who would be the most desirable to other NHL teams, depending on the type of trade we're talking about. If it's a rental for like a mid-tier guy, he's probably not involved. But if you're if you're gonna go have to go after, you know, everyone knows Minnesota wants a center. And if you go after Claude Giroux, Carson Lambos is gonna have to be part of those discussions. And Minnesota's NHL defense situation relatively solidified, which goes into that. They do they are going to need some ELCs in the coming years as they get into the buyout consequences of Suter and Parise. But the defense situation there is fairly shored up for at least the – I think Dumbo's only got one year left. But it's like, you know, 
Dumbas right. got a year left. They've got they extended John Merrill, Spurgeon, Burdine. And, like the, and, and that's why Addison's is important yeah. with the Dumbas situation because he's a right shot like Dumba, offensively driven. There's some there's a role there that he could replace if if Dumba walks. So any team you're watching especially closely at this deadline? Is it Colorado like, like you were talking about, or who, who are you watching most closely? Uh, I think it is the Rangers. I think they have to do something. Like I mean, everyone knows, Kravtsov is probably moving at some point. It's just a matter of what the deal looks like and. And and like I said, that, that defense situation, because we, we've talked about it several times on this show, that something's going to give here at some point. And I think Lundqvist still has value around the league after how good he was in Sweden over the last couple of years before he came to North America. Um, you know, they've had, they've made a lot of high draft picks over the, over the last few years. They, you know, they look like they're a contender right now. Maybe not like the top tier contenders, but they're, but they're you know, a top team in the East. Um, I think the situation will be really interesting here going forward. All right. That is going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. We're going to start you with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. So do that. Read all of Corey's great content throughout the trade deadline and up to the draft, uh, and, and we'll talk to you soon.